0: Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J Show. Happy 2024, our first Duke basketball episode, Connor and I. So looking forward to talking Duke basketball here for January, February, and then March, and then hopefully April. And then we'll go right back into football, Connor, because that'll be spring ball. But first, let's dive into Duke's 75-53 to win at Pittsburgh. And the game was not even that close. Duke cru- cruised to a 22-point win At one point in the game, Connor was 62-28, to and then Duke just kind of took the foot off the gas, Shire played some guys off the bench, and Duke ended up winning by 22. This was Kyle Filipowski's best game of the season. He had 26-10 and on 11 of 12 shooting, and we'll go into that more. But first, Connor, is this Duke team ever going to lose again?
1: No, it's uh, whatever. What would it be at this point? Do the quick math. They played eight games, so. Like we, thirty-two game, thirty-two game winning streak. I think would add up to a national championship. You already got seven down.
0: Yeah, twelve and three right now, and then there's a lot of games left that I don't want to do the math to. But that sounds about right. I just did the math for you. It's it. You play forty games. Uh, oh, you, I thought you just winged it.
1: No, no, I'm I'm sitting right here. I've got Ken Palm open uh, per usual at this time of year, and so yeah, they played their eighth game was a loss. So. It would be 32 straight to win. Um, I believe I got that right. Uh, I don't think they have any funky quirks with their schedule where they're playing one less game than they uh, are able to are allowed to play. But
0: regardless, this is the Elon education to a Fairm education right here. So quick math.
1: Hey, I had to take statistics twice, so I don't know if you really want to trust that Elon education. Um, no, I mean they're they're gonna lose again. Nobody. I'm of the mind that nobody is going 20-0 in the ACC. I don't think anybody has done that. I think Virginia came close. Um, you know, even Duke, when they had Zion and RJ, uh, that team lost four ACC games. And that was just in an 18-game ACC schedule. So they're going to lose. Um, the The way the schedule panned out, I think I'm going to segue us into something here. I mean, they're... They're front-loaded with all their easy games. Um, road games are always tough, and not every road game is going to be a walk in the park like it was on Tuesday night. I mean, good lord, that game was over sometime in the last few minutes of the first half when Pitt just wasn't able to come up with an answer. But, um, yeah, Duke is is taking advantage of the schedule that, and the way it panned out. Um, you certainly didn't think Pitt was going to be Uh, this bad coming off of an NCAA tournament year, returning one of the best players, bringing in one of the guy who's been one of the best freshmen in the ACC with uh, Bob Carrington. But um, yeah, this is, this is the time of year where Duke needed to get right. And uh, they are, they are getting right.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you said, the sprint loaded and uh, Duke plays Georgia tech as we'll talk to dive into in a little bit, but Won seven in a row and say they beat Georgia Tech and they play Pitt and they play at Louisville. That's 10 in a row right there. And coincidentally, last year Duke lost two in a row and then went on to win 10 in a row. So can history repeat itself? We'll see. Hopefully it doesn't end the 10-game losing streak. It can go from 10 to, like you said, all the way to March and not lose again. But realistically, I mean, Duke plays a gauntlet of Clemson Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and then, like you said, the road games in the ACC are tough, and Pitt was an easy win for Duke, which is not always the case ever, but I think it'll be more of a rock fight like the Notre Dame game. Like, you just got to throw out yeah. records when Duke plays on the road in the ACC because then day, it's going to be uglier than it is going to be prettier.
1: Yeah, and the other thing you got to think about is the that Clemson game is a Saturday at home, and then they turn around and play at Virginia Tech on the next Monday. And that was exactly the scenario when Duke lost at Virginia Tech last year. Uh, it was a Saturday to Monday swing. If I got the schedule correct in my head, the Saturday game was a big win against Miami. Double check. Yeah, Saturday win was a big game. The the win against Miami, which was a great win. Um, it was another. It was coming off of their loss at Clemson. So they sandwiched in there a a great win against Miami on that Saturday and then went up to Virginia tech two days later, Virginia tech, I think at the time was like one and seven in the ACC, something really putrid, but you know, Duke being Duke, they're going to get everybody's best shot. Um, The crowds are going to be, you know, you can, you can go play a team that is having a really disappointing season. The crowd is still going to be fired up and that's what they ran into last year at Virginia tech. And, I mean, the hokies aren't aren't doing <laughs> too well this year. They might be running up against a similar thing uh, in a couple weeks when they do that. And then the the game after Virginia Tech is Saturday first game against Carolina in the in Chapel Hill. So yeah, like I, I put out on Twitter earlier, um I, I think two things can be true. I think number one, Duke is on a seven game winning streak and playing its best basketball of the season. That's mm-hmm. undebatable. I also think we're still like two and a half weeks away from knowing just how much Duke turned a corner after those two losses at Arkansas and Georgia tech because really across this 10 game stretch, they'll have played one team that is even similarly talented to Duke. And that was Baylor in New York and I'm not minimizing that win. Like that was a great win Um down, I think six in the second half, but you know, one out of 10 games is not going to inspire a lot of confidence of putting Duke in the same category of like, the top teams in college basketball. I think of Purdue, uh, Houston, um, UConn, and I would kind of throw Kentucky in there. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd
0: not even maybe say UNC. Like, I think UNC yeah. is a really solid team to where –
1: And Ar- Arizona. Arizona, who Duke saw earlier. Um, th- those in my mind. Yeah, and UNC, like, UNC's is the opposite of Duke right now. They've they've picked up wins against some of the really good teams in the ACC. And that's where we're recording when we're a few hours out from uh, the game between the last two 3-0 teams in ACC play with uh, Carolina going to NC State. And I'll be watching that. Um, thrilled to – As much of a pain in the ass as it is when my teams play on the same night, I do get happy because it means that there's going to be also a night where I can sit back and relax and actually watch other games. So, yeah, that'll be a good game to watch.
0: That'll be a good game. Hopefully uh, DJ Burns does DJ Burns things and just continues to score in the paint like he does. But I remember last year – UNC had that blowout win against NC State, but it was awesome that DJ Burns just kept going one-on-one for about 10 straight possessions and scoring like eight out of 10 times at home. So that was pretty exciting, but yeah, that'd be a good game. I think UNC is legit, but to go back to Duke Connor, they have played a lighter schedule, but according to Ken Palm, they are, let me pull it up. There's four teams that are ranked top 15 in the offense and defensive efficiency, and it's, Arizona, who we've talked about UNC. We just talked about Auburn and Duke. So, I obviously, didn't realize,
1: I didn't realize the fourth one got in there.
0: Yeah. So, surprisingly, maybe surprisingly, Duke's in there, but like you said, it's a lighter schedule. So, we'll know more if Duke's going to maintain that top 15 on both sides of the ball as we get in the heart of the ACC play. But regardless, if you would have told me at five and three, Duke would have been this efficient. Regardless of the schedule, I wouldn't have really believed you because of a lot of question marks. And Duke still has the question marks like we'll talk about. But top 15 and both sides of the ball is pretty impressive what Shire has done.
1: Yeah, and really, you you look at how steady the guard play has gotten since they've taken off on this seven-game win streak. And really, it's the consistency of Jared McCain and Jeremy Roach. Um, I just wrote, I, I centered the preview that I wrote going into the pit game around how using that word, steady, that Jeremy Roach has been. Um, his, your, I, I term it as Duke is getting March Jeremy Roach three months early. Um, this is the type of things we've seen from him the last two marches when they went to the Final Four and when they won the ACC tournament last year. He's just so efficient. He makes every correct play. Um, I make jokes about it, but it, but it is kind of uh, – I feel like I'm doing a little bit of scouting – I don't know if anybody goes the opposite way of a ball screen more than him in the country. He will, <laughs> set, right. he will set that thing up and go the opposite way. I think about 80% of the time. Um, and it, that's just, that's just how slow the game moves and him reading his defender and reading the overplay and going where the opening is. Um, and then Jared McCain, I mean, good Lord, he was, I think it was the first five games after the Georgia Tech loss that he was shooting over fifty percent on threes. Mm-hmm. It's just it's such a repeatable motion. Um I've I've had a, a long running joke about um there are certain guys that you would pay to watch shoot alone in a gym by themselves. Just like their their jumper is so repeatable, so fundamentally sound, uh, so smooth. The, that's the only entertainment you need just watching them shoot uh like clay thompson is in there he was i think the first one that i started saying that about um probably not any of the man brothers i mean <laughs> maybe hayden but but no um i might put jared mccain in, like i'm not there yet with jared mccain shooting but man everything about it is is just smooth and it's repeat I mean, the biggest thing that I come back to is it's repeatable. It's the same shot every single time.
0: Right. Just, and I mean, his I've been saying this from day one that his transition threes are layups. It's yeah, it's not JJ, nobody's ever meet JJ Reddick, but as JJ Reddick asks to where he pulls up for three in transition, like, that's a great look. It's the best look you can have. I don't care if Phil Powell's underneath the goal wide open. I want you to shoot it. And he's done an outstanding job. And there's always a saying that and like in basketball for us if we're ever in a shooting slump it was water always finds its level so even if you're really cold like he was he's going to get hot and if you're really hot you're going to come back to earth and you're going to get cold it's just the way it works and water found its level with McCain and he got really hot when Duke needed him to when there was question marks after Proctor went down
1: hey you know you know who else that applies to
0: who's that Mark Mitchell baby (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about, listen, we're going to talk about the inconsistencies of Duke in general, uh, individually, but yes, Mark Mitchell, he slow, hot, and then four points last night, but Duke didn't need it, and that's why I'm, that's going to lead me into this question now, Connor, we'll talk about it. So Duke has a team averaging 82 points per game on 49% shooting. 75 from the line, which is not bad. It's pretty solid as a team. 37% from three. You take away Mark Mitchell's three of 25, it's around 40%, which is like we talked about uh, McCain's elite and Roach. But do you view the inconsistencies of the team as a problem or strength? Because I will say a pro real quick before we go back and forth, but Six different players have been the leading scorer for Duke this season. So like a Mark Mitchell will have a 23 points and then a four points next game. Doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Obviously you want him to be more consistent with the points per game, but I think six different leading scores just shows that it could be anybody's night for Duke.
1: Yeah. I, I pay very little attention to like a, okay, this is the guy who has to lead Duke. This is the guy that has to be two or three, you know, that, they they have so many different ways of of hurting teams. Um, you know, they grind out a win against Notre Dame on the road and Kyle Filipowski has seven points. He comes back in the next game and scores twenty-six and makes eleven of twelve shots. Um when when you get that kind of production, you don't need to worry about okay, egos and you don't need to worry about all the all the inner workings of who's leading. Um And it just it makes you harder to scout, which is the most important thing when you're playing teams that you see every single year. And some of these teams you're going to see twice, uh, maybe a couple, three times. So that that to me, like I, I would want balance. I would want uh, I would want to not rely on the same guy every single game. Uh, Maybe, you know, maybe that costs Kyle Filipowski, ACC player of the year or an All-American spot, which would suck because he's had a great season and. I do think he's been one of the five best players in the country with what Duke asks him to do in his production levels. But I mean, that the, the goal of this team is yeah. not to get Kyle Filipowski individual awards or, or anybody else for that matter. Um, and we know that. That's not breaking any news.
0: Well, what's crazy to me, like I know uh, it doesn't need to be on all, all the time like Filipowski, but it's not even that they're consistent, like these guys are consistent at the numbers per game. It's like they're Phil Powski have twenty-six and then he'll have eight on two of twelve. And then like there's like a massive gap from game to game. Obviously, there'll be a couple games in a row, like McCain was hot and averaged like twenty points per game there for three or four games. It's it's really it's really
1: the four. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's really points. Phil flip and Mitchell. Yes. Uh, they're they're the ones that oscillate between the highs and lows and you know, I I wrote this a couple a couple of days ago. It's a premium story on was Illustrated*. Hal um, powski has some funk sometimes. Like he will he will get down on himself. And one of the benefits of sitting where we do it at Duke courtside, you can pick up on body language a lot easier than you can sitting in a crow's nest or sitting way up in media seating. Uh, Duke is really one of the only places left in the country where we sit courtside. And you can see it like he'll he will have first halves where it's just like, man, this kid looks like he should not be on the court right. He, he wants he wants to do anything else other than play basketball right now. Um, it happens when he gets a, a foul call against him or when he doesn't get a call on some contact that he thought he should have gotten called. Um, and what what the story says is basically, he's done a lot better job this year of snapping himself out of those funks at halftime. Uh, last year he'd have games like that where he just wouldn't be able to kick it for the entire game. You just wouldn't really see it in the numbers because other than like the scoreless game against Virginia, um, Duke just had to go to him so often that he eventually wind up with like 12 points and eight rebounds. Cause that team was so limited offensively that they had to get scoring from somebody this year that's not the case this year they can survive a game where he has a scoreless first half and they're still up like exactly what happened against Syracuse Mark Mitchell carried him offensively in the first half and then in the second half I think flip I think flip second half against Syracuse is like 12 points um, five or six rebounds several assists um, he played a lot better but But that's still going to give you some some oscillation between, you know, 12 points against Syracuse, seven points against Notre Dame. Then he explodes for 26 against Pitt. Uh, That's that's kind of the inconsistency with him. And then Mitchell. I mean. There's been a lot going on there. Um, The shooting slump clearly affected him a bit. The way that teams started playing him like that's something that he was not prepared for. Uh, I think he would tell you that he's not ready to see. He get the ball at the three point line and he's a 35% three point shooter last year and teams are literally the his his primary defender is under the basket. It's just like daring you to shoot and it took him a few games to to get used to that and to be able to play against it but now he's able to play against it like now he's he's kind of put it together and he's able to attack that type of defense.
0: Yeah, he shot 35% last year. I, th- I talked about this on uh, Locked on Blue devils with J.J. about a month or two ago talking about – or a month ago talking about Mark Mitchell's slump. But he shot 35%, but he only made like 19 threes. So he was yeah. making half a three a game basically. Like every other game he was making a three. So it wasn't his first look. So he already was kind of gun shy, but now obviously – you start, I think he was like one of 20, one of 21 or something crazy like it that.
1: Got, it got to a one for 22.
0: Yeah. Then, I mean, that's on in your head. And obviously we won't need to, we won't go into it, but his dad tweeting what his dad tweeted, that's not great for confidence, but luckily, and shout out to Mark Mitchell for bouncing back and having back-to-back 20-point games after that. And at the end of the day, his game, like, it, it's very ironic and very on par that Duke had a muddy game, an ugly game against Notre Dame, and Mark Mitchell was leading score. Because when, you yeah. when you're when you in the mud, you got to have a guy on your team that is a dog that is gritty and is fine with playing in the mud, and that's Mark Mitchell. And so that's why Duke can win games pretty and they can win ugly because they have guys on the team that can win e- either or. So that's what makes this team different. But I know we're talking about his struggles, and one guy that I'm worried about, kind of worried about, is Proctor. So obviously, Tyrese Proctor came back from injury, had a couple good games out of injury. But since the last two games, Connor, he's played forty-six minutes combined, three points, one of ten from the field, one of eight from three, and zero free throw attempts. And I say that because that stuck out to me. So I wanted to deep dive into this. So I want to give you these numbers, and for the listeners, because I love you know I love analytics, baby. In eleven games, he has went to the free throw line. In 11 games that he's played, he's went to the free throw line more than once, a grand total of three games. So in those three games, he's averaging almost 15 points per game on 52% from the field and four of nine from three. Pretty good splits for a guy that attacks and gets to the line. In the eight games where he does not get to the line, where he shot two free throws or less, eight points per game on 40% from the field, and his shot has suffered. So... You, as a 6'6", strong physical guard that he is, he's got to get to the free throw line. And when he does and he shows he's aggressive, it's completely flips his game offensively. And I think Duke needs to see that aggressive side of him because, one, him, uh, him driving with his vision, we talk about McCain just shooting the hell out of it. Like, he set up your shooters and finish around the rim. And so that's just – the area of concern, a guy that I'm worried about right now, but he can, I turn turned around. He's very gifted, but the one of 10, the last two games is kind of concerning.
1: See, I I might be concerned if not for, I think he played a good four game last night. He had six rebounds and five assists. He did. Uh, had, a, had a block and a steal. Had three turnovers, so five assists, three turnovers isn't great, but it's not bad. Uh, I would kind of, I would bank on him scoring double figures against Georgia Tech. Um, and I think John John said it, uh, I think it was after the Notre Dame game. Um, he feels like he's still not 100%. Uh, the, the ankle injuries, you know, you can come back and you can be cleared. And obviously he was – like, I'm not saying that Duke pushed him ahead of schedule. Like, they were going to be super cautious with him all the, all the way through it. But the mental hurdle of still coming over an ankle injury um, – you can attest, anybody who's played basketball and had an ankle injury can attest, you're still hesitant uh, to to plant, to cut, to move off of that injury for who knows how long. So I, I think it's still coming. Um, I think the kind of the best thing for Duke lately is in going out for essentially four games, moved Caleb Foster into the starting lineup and put Caleb Foster at the point And he got a lot more comfortable playing point and not just coming off the bench. So I, I wouldn't be all that surprised. Like everybody wants to ask about uh, Tyrese moving back into the starting lineup. Who's going to move out of the starting lineup. I don't know if I would be surprised if the starting lineup stayed the same uh, barring injury or, or barring Caleb Foster, just having a few terrible games in a row, um, i think this is what duke is going to play to this is their they've got their rotation right now they've got their lineup and you know then you'll you'll get all the cliches about duke having six starters um i feel like john said that last year when Derek whitehead was coming off the bench kay said that two years ago when it was jeremy roach coming off the bench um so you'll i, I think i think tyrese proctor will be okay
0: yeah uh, that's a valid point the ankle injury is I can attest, yeah, and obviously, too, cardio, conditioning, like you missed those few weeks, and now you're playing four games and a week-and-a-half stretch, like fatigue is going to be there because your conditioning's not there, so that's it's valid. So, I do – he's talented enough to where he will bounce back, and I talked about this again with J.J. on Locked On, that the redemption game – Duke obviously has a redemption game against Georgia Tech because they lost at Georgia Tech, but Tyrese Proctor will want that win because he got hurt in the first – Yeah,
1: that, that was the one he had to watch the last – 38 and a half minutes on the end of the bench.
0: And Duke needed a ball handler at the end of the game. And then Mark Mitchell got the tee at the end, around the end of the game. And that's why I think it's going to redemption game for him. And so (laughs) basically, I don't know what the spread is, but I would take Duke to cover because I feel like Duke unofficially has circled this game since it's happened. And because they want some blood.
1: It's usually close to around what Ken Palm has. And Ken Palm has it at 18 right now. Good Lord.
0: Well, I was going to say they are going about 15 or more. 18 is a stretch. But I already put my foot in my mouth. I'm taking Duke the spread. So let's go Blue Devils. But also, Connor, that leads me to another guy on the team that I want to show love to. And when Proctor went down at Georgia Tech, this guy has stepped up and doesn't get – he's an unsung hero because he doesn't have the stats, but he has the minutes. And again, I'm bringing you all the I'm bringing you all the numbers, baby. I am bring you all the numbers. Jalen Blake's, my boy JB. Some people call J Justin Bieber JB. My boy JB is Jalen Blake's. Is he J Bug? Only call him J Bug. Yeah, they call him J Bug, but I'm just saying. Okay. You but but you don't want to call him that. No, I don't know him like that. That'd be weird if I went up to him and met him. Hey, J or well, JB would be weird too. But I'd just say, <laughs> Hey, Jalen. But anyways. Duke is two and three when Blake's has played less than 10 minutes a game, and Duke is 10 and 0 when he's played 10 or more minutes per game. So, and I know, I know people are like, well, the teams Duke's played. Yes, they have. But let me just give you these stats. All right. Because the stats offensively obviously do not pop out, but the offensive rating, his offensive rating is 122.3, and that's one of the like top four on the team. And his field goal efficiency is at 58%, whereas last year it was 43%. So he played only 10 minutes against Baylor, didn't really do much, like, stat-wise. But that was a game where Shire only played him and Ryan Young off the bench. I know T.J. Power had three minutes, but they were, I think, into the first half was a minute and a half, and then a minute and a half stretch in the second half. Which
1: but, game was the Syracuse game?
0: Uh, no, that was Baylor, the game that I'm oh, talking about. okay. Gotcha. And then, but Blake's played 10 minutes, and that led the team off the bench because Ryan Young played eight. And then Syracuse... He had 15 minutes. He had two points, two reb- two rebounds, and two assists. But he had three steals and a block. You get three steals and a block by off the bench in a conference game is massive. And then he had against Pittsburgh. He obviously had the one steal and then got fouled and then got hung on the rim, did a split, and then it was bleeding. I mean, it's the most Jalen Blake's play of all time. But I got to give the guy his flowers that he he's been reliable for Shire. Like, hey, just go in there, run the offense. Play good defense and just that's it. And he's done that.
1: Yeah, honestly, there you're you're overstating what Shire wants out of him. Oh, the yeah. only thing the only thing Shire wants when he puts Jalen Blake's in the game is go cause havoc on defense. Correct. Uh, go match up against whoever we tell you to match up against. Sometimes that'll be a point guard. Sometimes that'll be a six eight stretch four. Like correct. But that he, guy that guy is so valuable and it's, it's been since last year. Like mm-hmm. that, I remember last year, um, early in the year we were asking, cause we didn't know what roles they were going to have. We didn't, you know, Dariq Whitehead was taking time to get back and we just didn't know what that team was going to look like. And then all of a sudden Jalen Blake's is out there making like three threes in a game. And like John, you know, can that be a weapon off the bench for you? And he kind of politely told us that no, and anything that he gets offensively out of Jalen Blake's is bonus. It is icing on the cake. Correct. Like if if Jalen Blake's goes in there and does not attempt a shot in whatever minutes he plays 10 to 20 minutes, whatever it is, that's fine. Like he
0: just. Correct. Uh, you're hundred percent correct. And the offensive rating for the people out there, that doesn't mean him scoring. That just means Duke's offense, like Duke's offensive rating when he's on the floor. So he's doing his job, making the right reads, being aggressive, as in passing the ball to where it needs to go. It's it's no. and Will Smith. What are you supposed to do? Pass it to Will. He's doing yeah. a really good job of that. He's
1: I I, I said this during the pit game. I, I felt kind of bad about it because I didn't realize how hurt he was. But I said he he's got to be the most chaotic neutral offensive player in the ACC. Like he everything yeah. about it. Like he's gonna get a he's gonna get a steal. He's gonna get out in transition and then. He is going to try to bring the house down and it might work. It might not. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's bound to get by based on the way Duke moves the ball in the last seven games, he is bound to get open shots when he's in there. They might go in like he had that five for five game before Christmas. He might he shoot an run. air ball. Like it, yeah. it is there well, is he last no... night.
0: He had a, yeah, he there... shot an air ball in the corner last night. <laughs>
1: There is no way to predict what that guy is going to bring you offensively, and I think John Shire is completely okay with that because of how good he is on the other end.
0: Well, next time you see Shire, tell him that hey, here's a stat for him that when Jalen Blake's plays twenty or more minutes, I said this again on Locked On, just giving JJ a big plug. This game, ten or more minutes. No, I'm saying, and this twenty or more. This stat that I'm about to tell you right now, when he's played twenty or more minutes this season, he is shooting ninety percent from the field. He's like 11 of 12 or 10 of 11 from the field. That's three games. Yes, exactly. But it's so funny. Against Dartmouth, Charlotte, and Hofstra. Hey, he just needs to play more. It it shows. But, yeah, shout out to him, though, for real. uh, For Duke's limited bench, him and Ryan Young just come in and do their jobs. And it's really helped Duke solidify this win streak and it's helped Duke grow trust. Because one thing, too, Connor, about Duke's backcourt is – one area of concern is Duke's going to play in a one possession game. Uh, obviously, duh. But down to the wire, when Duke's winning and they're getting fouled, Duke has a problem with the line because you have McCain at 90%, Roach at 86, Proctor at 77, all solid. But when flips one of your better players at 70, that's kind of scary because he's going to have the ball in his hands and 70, you kind of want that to be 75 and plus as a, a guy. And But then the fifth guy, Connor, is you have Mark Mitchell on the floor at 73% with his flat shot or Caleb Foster at 60% who has not looked good from the line or Jalen Blakes, who is 7 of 8 so far on the season from the line, but then do you trust Jalen Blakes to not turn the ball over when he's getting double teamed? So, like, that fifth guy on the floor for Duke is going to be pivotal to is Duke going to win a one-possession game or is it going to slip through the fingers like Georgia Tech and turn it over and then lose – when you should have won the game. So that is something yeah. that to look out for, for Duke.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't know. I, I tend to think you, you need three main guys, like one that's guy right. to inbound the ball, two guys to go get the ball Uh, inbounder comes in and becomes the, the outlet pass. And you're talking about late game foul situations in your backcourt. Um, Yep. I think Duke's okay there. And I think Kyle Phillip house, I I have a pretty high opinion of Kyle. I think Kyle is a gamer. I think he makes late free throws better at better than his percentage in normal
0: situations.
1: We yeah, didn't get I, a chance to see that at Virginia last year.
0: I would like to see – is there a stat – is there a way we can look that up, like free throw percentage, like full goal percentage, free throw percentage with two minutes or less? That would be great it's,
1: stat. It's probably in synergy or one of the things that you really have to pay a lot of money to get access to. Um, I, I have – Ken Palm and I have Evan Maya. Evan Maya is really good with lineups and uh, combinations together on the port. I'm thinking about getting CBB analytics and I don't know if they have that or not. That honestly might push me over the edge if they did.
0: Well, I uh, I might have a plug at Synergy. So let me see if I can log in with somebody's login information.
1: Everybody makes it seem like Synergy has everything you could ever need. Uh, it, I just I just know it's... Like a thousand dollars or something crazy. Synergy
0: thing. is insane. I mean, obviously, every college coach has it, but like you pull up any play from 10 years ago and it's an, it's nuts. Yeah. But, Yes, I will have to look into that. We'll get back to that. Maybe I'll be in that future episode. So, Connor, we'll close with this. So, obviously, we joked about earlier in the earlier in this episode, would Duke lose another game? Well, the ACC been pretty solid so far this season I mean I know Wake Forest had a tough loss against Florida State who's nine and six but they're now three and one the ACC they're tied with Wake at three and one and Duke what do you see coming about this ACC as NC State North Carolina tip off tonight
1: God I hope the league uh, gets more than like three or four bids Um, it's it's going to be fighting uphill and it's all because of how much weight the non-conference has and I could go on for an entire uh episode about everything that's wrong with college basketball and how we evaluate teams based on them playing in empty ballrooms in November and putting more weight on those types of games than conference games. Um But, that's always kind of more of the Wake Forest side of things because Wake Forest has been on the bubble for the last couple years. Duke maybe, like, was in danger if they lost a game last year of where you need to talk about them being on the bubble, but they won all those games. And then the 10-game winning streak at the end of the year pushed them into the stratosphere of they're one of the playing better than just about everybody in the country. Um, They're clearly, like, it'd take several losses in a row for us to talk about them being in danger of missing a tournament this year with, with what they've done and what they look like. I just, it's hard to look at anybody in the ACC right now, other than really the triangle schools. And I hold some reserve judgment on NC state. Cause I still don't know if they're actually good. Uh, and those are really the best three teams in the league right now. Um, talking about Carolina, they, they won at Clemson like to me that that's enough to put them right at the top of the league. Um, Duke does not have a win that's as impressive as winning at Clemson, as far as I'm concerned. What so about, what
0: about Miami?
1: I think Miami's going to be really good. I I think do not be surprised if Miami winds up winning this regular season. Uh really to me, the difference with Miami is you know about Nigel Pack, you know he's gonna make shots. You know, Norchad O'Meara O'Mir is better than he was last year. He's a monster. Um he might he he is the best like six, five rebounder. I think I've ever seen. And that's, you know, I'm a little on the young side to really seen and appreciated Charles Barkley at the height of his career. But, um, he's a monster where I go with Miami is they're going to get Wooga Poplar back. Who's one of the most improved players in the league, a great athlete, but while he's been out and while Nigel Pack was out before that, they kind of discovered the fact that they have a six-eight guard named Keyshawn George, who's from France, who is freaking incredible. Mm-hmm. Like he's awesome on the defensive end. He played a great game against Hunter Salas. He was one of the reasons Hunter Salas had a poor second half at Wake. Um, and he's become this dynamic shooter. I think he's making like three or four threes a game in the last couple weeks. Like he. He had a couple games where he played like three minutes, five minutes in November. It's like, I I was I was curious what Jim Larinaga was doing with his rotation, and then Wuga Poplar goes down, Nigel Pat goes down. It's like he discovers the fact that oh, this freshman on the end of my bench, he could play. Um, that guy that like he he's a first round pick in in six months, not next year. Uh, he he's that good. So they've really got a dynamic backboard. Uh, to me, to me, if if you want to have the debate, like it's either Miami, Duke, or Wake Forest have the best backboard in the ACC. Yeah, so I, I think.
0: Mean, sorry, to Miami
1: that. is Miami is the team I would put my money on winning the ACC right now.
0: I am like I like that bet, and it's kind of funny they. Miami has now – I think them and Florida State have kind of switched spots where Leonard Hamilton's Florida State team was always lying in the weeds and then they'd just come up and win the ACC or contend for the ACC. And Miami, the last three years – I mean, three years ago when Jordan Miller transferred into Miami, I'll never forget, they had like the second-to-worst odds to win the ACC and then they ended up – base. I think they win the ACC or come in second or third in the ACC year one or two – like three, three years ago where they upset hey, – no- the
1: the thing that I always land on is uh, in the COVID year, the the 2021 season. Uh, Wake beat Miami in Winston, mm. and like neither one of those teams was any good. It was an awful game. I think it was like 67-63. Uh, just ugly. Steve Forbes was in his first season. He he's almost disowned that team. Like he refuses to attach any uh weight on what they did that year because it was such a bad team and it was such a weird situation that he recruited the entire team on Zoom because it was in the middle of the pandemic. And I remember a couple of years before then I had asked somebody uh like you know that was when Miami would show up places and only have seven or eight players available. Um it was the like the the days of uh Angel Hernandez is always the one that I would remember. He was the point guard that I think he came after Chris Likes, or maybe Chris Likes came after him, and Chris Likes was on some bad teams, I feel like. Um, but it was after that, and it was just this twilight, and it was like, man, Larry Nega's got to hang it up soon, right? It's just it, – it's kind of plateaued. He had the, the great season in 2013 when they won the ACC in Greensboro. Um, he had some good teams after that that I feel like he made some sweet 16s and elite eights maybe. And it was just kind of stale. And I asked somebody about it and they were like, yeah, he kind of knows his time is running out. His problem is this is the first time in his career that he's made real money because he was at George Mason for so long. And Miami would have you believe like the the perception of Miami is they have a lot of money because they're, you know, they're Miami. They won all these national championships in football. They're a a poor program. Like that's a poor athletic department. That's why they had to bring in Dan Radakovich from Clemson so Laranega, after he won the ACC was finally making real money so that's why he didn't want to step away and then all of a sudden uh here comes life wallet and here comes the guy saying hey I'll I'll go get you Nigel pack and Norchad Omir and and you can have an actual team and Miami basketball can be good and now here we are uh year three of Miami being one of the best programs in the ACC. I would put them right up against what Duke and Carolina have done in the last two years.
0: Yeah. And he also got uh Jordan Miller. So that was the, they got those three and then basically they hit stride. They've had, this is their third consecutive really good year and they just don't get talked about enough. So Miami is the team to look out for in the ACC as well. We both agreed to and wake Forest as well. Like it's still early, but all teams have only played three or four ACC games. Anything yeah. flip a switch. The ones that you know are not going to flip the switch are Notre Dame and Louisville. And honestly, probably Pittsburgh because way Pittsburgh's offense Cable's offense, man. I like I pull for cable because he's a Duke guy, but there's just no rhyme or reason. And they just shoot a lot of bad low percentage shots all the time. And, um, yeah. but those are the three schools and I'm excited to see Boston college. I know Boston college is, I'm not saying anything they're at the top of the ACC, but I like to see Boston college's name not be dead last in the ACC. Like, I I That guy can
1: coach, man.
0: Yeah, he can. He's really –
1: Earl Grant can really coach, right? I have this fear that, like, he is – he's a really good coach. I just don't know if he's going to get the talent and get the support. Like, Wake went up there and played, and it looked like there were about 2,000 people in the stands. Uh, That was last week. Just – he's a really good coach. Yeah, he he can – he can coach circles around some guys in the ACC that you think are really good coaches. Um, they come to town, they come to
0: Durham uh, February 10th. So Duke fans, look out for Boston College. Just telling you it's a team that they're not close to competing at the top of the ACC, but it's a team that they deserve to be in the middle of the ACC. And I hope they do huh? because I do miss them being competitive in the ACC.
1: I'll tell you what, you touched on it earlier too. Florida State is going to be a pain in the ass for more than just Wake Forest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I asked Leonard Hamilton on the teleconference this week what he liked about the, the two games that they won last week. And he said we're finally getting some bounce, some semblance of a rotation. And it's like that that sends up red flags because when that program was operating at its peak, uh just you know, four, five, six years ago, they had length and they played eleven to twelve players a game. Well, last night in beating Wake and giving them their first ACC loss, they played nine players. They played eleven players, all at least nine minutes, and it was just waves upon waves of length and athleticism and pressure defense. And that's how they turned Wake over twenty times.
0: Well, and we'll close with this, Connor, because speaking of Florida State, I said Duke plays Boston College February tenth then Duke plays Wake Forest February 12th, and then it's at Florida State, who's sneaky, and then at Miami, back-to-back games, and then at Wake Forest. So that three-game stretch is going to be – I mean, the rest of the schedule for Duke's a Gauntlet, but that right there, those three games all on the road in all places Duke has performed bad at, like historically. I mean, I'll never forget the Miami game. Was it the 2013 game? a season where Duke got routed by like 35 at Miami or something crazy like that. Like, yeah.
1: With a rod sitting courtside.
0: Yeah. And so I've seen those and Florida States always a nail biter. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Like I'm enjoying as a fan, enjoying the seven game win streak and then what's to come for Duke and seeing the growth of the team. But once Duke starts playing the top heavyweights of the ACC, we we will get to know, we will get to know what type of team we're dealing with.
1: Yeah. February is going to show us a lot. And then, you know, two and a half at the end of January, it's Clemson, and uh, that'll bleed right into Carolina game.
0: Yep, and then the end of – and then beginning of March is Virginia at NC State, North Carolina. So it's just a heavy back end of the schedule. I thought Duke football had a tough ACC schedule. But, Connor, brother, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. This is another episode of the Big J and Little J Show. We'll see you next week.